Hi, guys. We thank you for taking time to be with us. This is It's a Matter of Your Health, the 30-Minute Health Magazine. I'm Dr. Vita Bland, hypertension specialist and family medicine doctor. Well, we're talking about colon cancer right now. As you may or may not know, March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month, and we're going to talk about that during several of our episodes this month. First of all, we're going to start off with Dr. Vincent Schooler. Dr. Schooler is Chief of Eagle Gastroenterology in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he's going to be with us and talk about colon cancer. Dr. Schooler, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Bland. Okay, so exactly, I think we think we know, but exactly what is colon cancer? So colon cancer is uh, currently the third leading cause of cancer death in African Americans. And colon cancer is a cancer that that starts off in the colon. It usually starts with a polyp or a growth in the colon. Uh, And a lot of times when you have colon cancer, you may not even have any symptoms from it. So these polyps can form from genetic mutations in your body as as you age and um, can spread to other areas of the body. if 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 they if it's left in there too long, I see. So how is it screened for, and what are the parameters around screening for it? Great question. Um, so we used to start screening uh, at age fifty, but now the recommendation is to start screening at, at age forty-five, unless you have family history, then you may need to have it done sooner. Um, but screening is doing it's doing a test, uh, ordering or, or doing a procedure or test to look for colon cancer in terms of colon cancer screening uh, in somebody who does not have symptoms. So uh, you can have uh, colon cancer or colon polyps without any symptoms at all. And so we do different tests that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in terms of what type of tests. Uh, but those are the types of tests that we do to try to catch colon cancer before before polyp becomes a cancer or before the cancer spreads outside the colon. So what changed the recommendations? Why did we go from 50 down to 45? Well, the experts in gastroenterology were seeing a a lot of patients in their 40s who had no family history, no known family history that were coming in with advanced type of polyps or growths in the colon and also colon cancers. Uh, And they decided that um, based on these studies that have been done, to it would be better to lower the age to 45 to start screening instead of waiting to age 50. And we're seeing uh, the studies that were being done, we're seeing also a lot of African-Americans with colon cancer at early age, earlier ages uh, or advanced polyps at earlier ages. Okay. Now, do you think we are seeing more cases of colon cancer or is it just that we're screening more and that's why we're picking it up more? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I, mean, I think definitely um, we're, we're doing more uh, screening tests, um, different types of tests, colonoscopy and, and stool tests. And so we're definitely screening more and, and picking it up more. But, you know, they don't know why, but the experts don't know why. But definitely I think um, it is occurring um, at a earlier age, a younger age, whether the overall numbers are higher, uh, that's to be determined. Okay. So when you talk about screening tests, I think most people think about a colonoscopy. Everybody has a horror story about getting cleaned out and all of that. But right. you know, but there are several ways you can do that. And could we talk about which one is appropriate for which patients? 
Yeah, so the, the preferred way uh, is to do a colonoscopy, and that's where you have to drink that colon prep that nobody likes to do the day before the procedure. You get sedation of the day of the procedure, and, and um, um, that's the procedure that I do and, and my colleagues do in gastroenterology. And we take a scope with a light on it and camera on it and, and, and insert it into your rectum and go around your colon and look for polyps or growths which I mentioned um, are the main risk factor for developing into, into colon cancer. Um, you know, it's preferred to do the colonoscopy. There are other alternative tests such as um, fecal immunochemical tests looking for um, microscopic blood in your stool. Um, there's also DNA tests of your stool to look for different DNA markers in your stool. Um, so those are alternative tests. I mean, all tests have false positives and false negatives that may not be as accurate, but um you know, there's pros and cons for each type of test. So what are the pros for getting the routine colonoscopy? Well, the pro for that is, you know, if we see a colon polyp um, during the colonoscopy, we're able to take it out while we're there in most cases. Um, so that prevents you from that polyp from forming into something worse than it is. Um, so we have that benefit of being able to take out something right then and there. Uh, if you have a stool test, um, you might have a false negative, meaning that, you know, the test may be negative, but you still could have an advanced polyp or colon cancer and it not be seen in, in certain cases. Um, and also, if you have a stool test that comes back positive, you're going to need to um, do a colonoscopy on a different day um, to, to have that polyp taken out or removed. Okay, so a lot of people want to have the less quote-unquote invasive testing done. I try to get my patients to to try to go ahead and get the colonoscopy because I think that's the best way of looking at it. Personally, I've had patients that were negative on the other tests and they ended up having a um, colon cancer. Uh, I'm right. sure you, you know, you've heard of that happening also. Yes. Um, so, I prefer them having it, but so many people don't want to go through the prep or, or have it done, you know. So in, in my practice, unless there's a reason, let's say there is um, a reason for them not to be sedated or something like that, I would rather them have it. You know, what's your thought process on this? Yes, I mean, I agree. I mean, definitely colonoscopy is going to be the best way to to screen the colon, looking for polyps and growths and taking those polyps out. Um, there's a fair number of folks who have the the uh, regular stool occult test or fecal immunochemical test that comes back a false negative. Um, I've had several patients who primary doctor had done the blood test for stool and because the patient didn't want it or, or for other reasons, and it came back negative, and then they came back to see me in that same year with symptoms and had colon cancer. So uh, I don't recommend the 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 fecal immunochemical test as a as a baseline screening test. Um, the DNA marker one is better is better than nothing. It's better than the regular stool test for blood, but it does have about an eight eight out of ten chance of being a false negative as well. So um, those can create issues. But if a patient is too sick to undergo sedation or flatly refusing to do the colon prep, um, then the DNA test would be the next best thing to do. So, what would be your cons for doing? A colonoscopy. And what I mean by that, you said, you know, like the, like I've had patients who had COPD and, you know, we didn't really want them to be sedated or heart disease and we didn't want them to be sedated. You know, what are your cons for doing that? Yes. I mean, so the colonoscopy does involve drinking that colon prep, which we cannot um, do a colonoscopy without 
somebody cleaning themselves out the day before. The colon preps have gotten a lot easier over the years. There's some lower volume formulations out there uh, instead of the, the, the big gallon that uh, people dread. Um, so there, there are options in terms of colon preps. Um, and you get sedation so you don't have any memory or, or, or um, pain during the procedure. Um, you know, there are some rare risks involved with colonoscopy. Uh, there's a risk of what we call a perforation or hole in the colon, which can occur in about one in every 5,000 procedures. Um, so it's rare, not zero, but rare. And then there's a low risk of bleeding from doing the colonoscopy, taking out polyps. But again, you know, we're trying to prevent colon cancer um, and taking the polyps out is the best way to try to do that. Um, so there are some risks involved, but there's a lot of benefits in terms of preventing colon cancer. So the sedation part of it, I think um, a lot of people will tell me, well, I don't have anybody to come pick me up. What about that? Um, yeah, so we do have a, on occasion where a patient has uh, nobody that they know that can take them to the procedure. Um, that does create some difficulties. Uh, we 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 stress not to use a ride sharing service if possible, because um, we need you know when they're sedated, they need somebody to come sign them out of the procedure, out of out of recovery to take them take them home. And uh, a cab or ride sharing service is not going to uh, walk them in and, and walk them out, that type of thing. But, um, you know, we 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 work with patients as much as possible. Um, but um, ideally, they do need to have have a driver with them to, to drive them home. You also talk to people about once they've had that sedation, that they should not make any major decisions or anything like that for the first 24 hours. Is that right? Yes, yes. We definitely say um, no driving and no um, no major decisions or, or working for, for 24 hours after the procedure. Um, they should go home and rest um, and uh, they can eat when they leave out of, out of the procedure uh, area. Out of, when they leave out of our unit, they can eat, but no driving or, or working for 24 hours. And the reason for that is what? Well, the sedation is still still wearing. I mean, still affecting their ability to function. Um, you know, they can eat and they can walk, and um, but but we don't want them, you know, going out doing any sports activities or or, or driving um, because they still have some some sedation effect from the uh, from the dipper van or propofol that we use for sedation. Okay. Well, let me reintroduce our guest. Our guest today is Dr. Vincent Schooler. Dr. Schooler is Chief of Gastroenterology at Eagle Physicians in Greensboro, North Carolina. And we're talking about colon cancer and the colon today. So, Dr. Schooler, are you seeing any racial differences as far as colon cancer is concerned? Yes, we see... um they're, they're definitely um, we're seeing uh, uh, African-Americans at a younger age, more advanced stage when they have uh, polyps or, or lesions in the colon. Decreasing the age to 45, which was which was done a few years ago, has definitely helped um, try to catch some of some of these patients before their polyps become an advanced polyp or cancer. But I do definitely see um, uh, African-Americans at younger ages and more advanced stages uh, with colon cancer, as in a lot of other diseases. So why do you think that has happened? I mean, is this a genetic deal or, or what do you think is happening with this? Um, it is a lot of theories out there about it. Um, there, there is some um, question about the way colon cancer uh, develops. There may be some advanced part of it in terms of genetics uh, that hasn't been completely uh, 
cleared up, but uh, there is some question about what's called microsatellite microsatellite instability, where um, we we see an increase in that in in African American patients with colon cancer. But that that is not a, a definite uh, reason why we don't we don't know we don't know whether it's due to uh, lack of access or um, what have you. But um, that there is some question about some genetic changes as well. Do you think? food has anything to do with this and that people who have more of highly processed foods may have more problems with this? So studies that have been done have shown that um, definitely if you have less fiber and more red meat in your diet, that may increase your risk of polyp formation um, and, and colon cancer risk. So food does play into it. Uh, but on the flip side, if you don't eat any red meat and have a very high fiber diet, you're still at risk for developing colon polyps and potentially cancer of the colon. Um, but there, there is some anecdotal evidence that, you know, decreasing your uh, red meat intake, especially charred type of meat, uh, may decrease your risk of polyp formation in the colon. Okay. Who was the brilliant person who came up with the idea of doing colonoscopies? There was a whole a whole a whole list of different folks, but um, but back in the fifties and sixties, they they started using fiber optic scopes to to do colonoscopies. Uh, initially, they used an eyepiece, just looking through a, a little small uh, like uh, eye eyepiece hole, and then they and then it changed over to you know looking at the uh, the the screen with fiber optics and and high definition and everything. So it's, a lot has changed over the last fifty plus years. So we've been doing this for fifty years now. Well, colonoscopy and, 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 and endoscopy has been around um, since the 50s and 60s, but it, it didn't become mainstream uh, until the last 30 years or so when um, studies showed that colon polyps were the main source of developing colon cancer um, and uh, the preps and everything got better. And, and, and then, of course, sedation uh, was started to be used more, more often in the last 25 plus years. Okay. Well, it seems to be from what, you know, I've seen that the colonoscopies are more common in the U.S. than maybe in other countries. Is that true? And if it is true, is there a reason that we are seeing more colonoscopies done in the U.S. than maybe in Europe and other countries? Yeah, I mean, they're doing some epidemiological studies on that um, uh, over the years. Um, they don't I don't I don't think the experts know exactly why there's some, you know, increased risk of colon cancer in this country. I mean, obviously, uh, our diet is is a lot more processed, uh, a lot more processed foods in our diet in other places. So, you know, there's questions about that and um, the types of foods that we eat. We don't we don't eat as much um, fish as a lot of other some other societies might um, so I, I don't think I can answer for sure on that, but um, but that definitely is 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 a question about our diet uh, versus other countries like Africa or Europe, other continents like Africa or Europe. In the other countries, though, do they do routine colonoscopies the way we do them here, or is that you know you know do they have the same recommendations that we have here? Um, I can't speak on Africa. I know in certain parts of uh, Europe. Um, they don't do it to the to the extent that we do. Um, I don't know the reason why, whether it's just due to um, accessibility and that type of thing. But, um, you know, the screening, colon cancer screening is definitely more 
extensive here in the United States of America, more so than other other countries, other develop, developed countries in the world. Okay. So what lifestyle changes can you come up with that would prevent colon cancer? Or is just surveillance the the answer? Well, definitely, you know, having good high fiber diet, less red meat in your diet are definitely will be helpful. Um, regular exercise in general helps a lot of different things for your for your for your health and, and body. Um, there's some questions about it may be some protective effect with vitamin D and calcium supplements, but that hasn't been proven. But there's some suggestion that having vitamin D and calcium supplements in your diet may may be helpful to try to reduce colon polyp formation. But the main thing I think is trying not to eat too much red meat and making sure you have good fiber in your diet um, and, and, and then undergoing the screening uh, when you need to. There's Unfortunately, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions of people in America that don't undergo screening for colon cancer um, when, they, when they become of age and uh, wait until they start having symptoms. And a lot of times in those situations, if there's a cancer there, it's already spread if they've if they waited too long. When you say high fiber, could you give us some examples of what you're meaning with that? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of foods that, that are high fiber. I mean, not, not just the whole grain and whole wheats that we always hear about, but there's, there's a lot of fruits out there, um, like apples with the skin on them and grapes uh, that, uh, that have, have a lot of fiber in them. Um, and, you know, if a lot of patients are adept online and everything, there's tons of high fiber listings online. But, um, but yeah, there's tons of foods that, that have high fiber in them. When I talk to, to patients uh, and see them, one of the things I do ask them is, how are their bowel movements? Are they having daily bowel movements? Are they constipated? You know, is any of that important? Yeah, you know, so definitely, the, the, you know, having a regular bowel movement and regular is variable. You don't have to have a bowel movement every day to be considered regular. But, you know, at least once every two or three days at the at the at the most with less straining, you know, is helpful in general in terms of overall health, but uh, it doesn't protect you against colon cancer or colon polyps. But but definitely having a regular diet and high fiber diet will help help your bowel, bowel movements uh, be more regular uh, in general. That's that's helpful for you overall. So, you know, one of the things that patients and especially, and I don't know why, older patients are more concerned about, and you tell me if I'm wrong or not, about their frequency of bowel movements than maybe younger patients. Do they have a right to be concerned about that? So, you know, you, you, I think you're touching on it. So if you have, uh, if you're a re- normally regular every day or every other day, uh, bowel movement frequency, and then you start having a change in your bowel habits where you're going once a week or a lot slower than what you normally would, I mean, definitely talk to your doctor about that. That could be a sign that there could be something going on in your colon, like a obstruction or blockage in your colon that, that could be causing that. You know, a lot of times it's not related to that, but that's something that, that we need to know about as physicians um, in case you start having a sudden change in your bowel habits or start seeing blood in your stool or having abdominal pain or weight loss or something like that. So um, definitely don't just 
let it fester and go on and, and not not talk to your doctor about it. How about the caliber of the stool? How important is that? So we, we always hear about, well, if I have thin stools or pencil-like stools, that's kind of like the buzzwords. You're like, oh, what does that mean? I mean, you could have thin stools or, or small caliber stools with, without it being anything uh, abnormal. But uh, that's definitely something to, to pay attention to and and let your doctor know about it so so that can be looked at because it could be a sign that there's a partial partial blockage in your colon that's causing there like a colon cancer or or something else going on in your colon that's causing it. So uh, it's not specific enough to say that every time you see it, that's that's what it is. But that's something that we need to know about from a patient if, if they start having change in the in the size or the appearance caliber of their stools. Our guest today is Dr. Vincent Schooler. Dr. Schooler is Chief of Gastroenterology at Eagle Physicians in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we are talking about the colon and colon cancer. Now, one of the things that patients tend to get upset about a lot is, and I do too, is when they have blood in their stools. Um you know, if they have blood in their stews. I want to look at that rectum, see what it looks like. And if I don't see anything that's, you know, that that helps me understand exactly why they have it, they're off to you guys. What's your take on this? Yes, blood in the stool is definitely something that um, n- needs to be uh, followed up on no matter what age you are. Uh, even if you're in your 20s or 30s, if you're having blood in your stool, you need to talk to your doctor about it because it definitely could mean um, something going on in your colon, like a large polyp or or cancer of the colon. A lot of times, blood in the stool is due to hemorrhoids, which are the dilated veins we see on the inside or outside of the rectum. But um, I would definitely say to patients not to just blow it off as something minor, but definitely follow up with your with your doctor if you're seeing any blood in your stool, no matter what age you are. Hemorrhoids are a huge problem. I see them sometimes when people are more sedentary. Uh, truck drivers, I see them a lot. You know, right. what's your take on this? Yeah, so hemorrhoids um, definitely can be uh, also, um, yeah, definitely people who are sedentary definitely can have increased uh, risk of hemorrhoids uh, being irritated uh, and causing bleeding or pain. But the other thing, definitely if you have a lot of constipation or hard stools, they can get irritated from that. That goes back to having more fiber in your diet and moving your bowels more regularly. Um but diarrhea and loose stools can also aggravate them. So, you know, if you're if you're uh, having diarrhea or constipation, they can get irritated. But definitely patients that are truck drivers or who do a lot of cycling, a lot of heavy exercise, that definitely can irritate them. Or just in general, they can get irritated. And, you know, there's different topical therapies uh, we don't have time to go into today, but different topical therapies out there that um, like suppositories and hemorrhoidal creams and ointments that can help. But uh, the main thing is that... Don't assume that bleeding that you if if you're having rectal bleeding or blood in your stool that it's that it's only hemorrhoids or that it is hemorrhoids. Well, Doctor Schooler, we're getting down to our last few moments, and you've been very kind and have uh, shared a lot of great information uh, with us about colon cancer and um, you know just in general, how we should be, you know, eating and things of that nature. But I'd like to give you uh, two to three minutes to give us your words of wisdom. You know, what would you like as a gastroenterologist? What would you like us to be doing? 
Thank you, Dr. Bland. Yes. Um, so I think the, the main thing I would like for patients to do is definitely um, be proactive about their health. Um, don't wait on the primary doctor. If the primary doctor has not recommended that, that they get a colonoscopy um, or some type of colon, colon cancer screening test and they're 45 or above, um, make sure that they're proactive about it and, and seek out getting it on their own or if their primary doctor is not um looking toward doing a screening test on them uh, before age 50 because um, the age has shifted to 45 and, and definitely need to be proactive about that. Um, you know, talk to their doctor about what the, what options are out there, colonoscopy versus stool tests. Um, and um, once you have a colonoscopy or some type of screening test, uh, if the screening test is positive, if the stool test is positive, they need to follow up and get a colonoscopy to get it followed up on. And talk to your family about it. You know, definitely, I, I see a lot of patients um, who don't know their parents' history if they had colonoscopies done, don't know whether they had polyps, don't know what type of polyps. And so, writing down your family history and passing it on to your children and grandchildren is important for future generations. But um, the main thing is, I, I would like people to be more proactive about their health in terms of colon cancer, and know that. Uh, over 90% of the colon cancers that we see could have been prevented if people had undergone screening at the correct time. Um, and so that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. And one of the things that people need to understand, too, is that it is not one and done. Correct. Yes. So I'm um, glad you mentioned that. So, yes. Yeah, so when you have a colonoscopy, if you, ha- if, you, if you don't have any colon polyps or colon cancer or family history, the recommendation is to repeat the colonoscopy in 10 years. If you have polyps or growths in the colon, depending on what type of polyps, the size and number, you may need it again in five years or less, depending on that. Um, and so it's so definitely not one and done. Um, um, you should continue getting it on a, on a regular basis, depending on your risk factors for colon cancer. Okay. So what makes me hopeful is the fact that you're saying that If we follow your recommendations and go ahead and make sure that we're getting our screening at the appropriate times, we should be able to pick up anything so that we should be okay. But there's one other thing I meant to ask. If there is a family history of colon cancer, when should that person start the surveillance? Yes. So if they've had colon cancer, um, if they've had it, 60 or above or well i should say from age um 50 to 60 or above recommendations to start at age 40 there's some gray zone about if they've had it later in if their family member has had it later in life like in their 70s or 80s Uh, but in general i say age start at age 40 unless they've had it less than age 50 then it should be 10 years before um your family member had it now the caveat is we're talking about close First degree relatives, so parents, siblings, children, you're at, you're at the most increased risk for for family members such as that. If it was like a second degree relative, like a grandmother or a cousin or something like that, the is is more debatable about when to start. But in general, if it's a first degree relative, I say start at age forty to start getting screened, unless they had the colon cancer before age fifty, then it's ten years before uh, they were diagnosed. Okay. Well, Dr. Schooler, we thank you so much for taking time to be with us. You have given us such wonderful information, and we hope to talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much, Dr. Bland. Thanks for having me in March on Colon Cancer Awareness Month.
Thank you. It's a matter of your health. It's brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System. Find It's a Matter of Your Health podcast wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to visit our website at www.drblandradio.com for past episodes, blogs, and more.